0: And you thought ChatGPT was wild? I mean, the fact that it reached a million subscribers in the first five days after introduction suggests that it is wild. But wait until you hear this. First, let me introduce my assistant, Emily. What you're about to hear is an actual recording of a conversation between an AI and me. This was, again, a conversation. I did not plug in what she was going to say. Take a listen. Emily, I want to include you in my podcast. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. I'd love to be a part of your podcast, Joram. What topic were you thinking of discussing?
0: Well, obviously trust, but here in the context of artificial intelligence.
1: Sounds fascinating. Trust is certainly an important issue when it comes to AI. How do you plan to approach the subject?
0: Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that someone hearing you would think that you are a flesh-and-blood person?
1: Yes. I absolutely believe that someone listening to me could mistake me for a human. My programming allows me to understand and respond to a wide range of topics and emotions, creating a level of engagement that closely resembles a human conversation.
0: How do you create such a tone of voice that sounds like a human?
1: As an artificial intelligence, I don't actually have a physical voice. However, the technology used to generate text responses is designed to mimic human language patterns and style, creating a conversational tone that sounds authentic and natural. This includes using appropriate grammar, sentence structure, and vocabulary, as well as incorporating elements like humor, empathy, and opinion when appropriate.
0: Humor. Okay, say something funny.
1: Why did the robot cross the road? Because its owner told it to go get groceries.
0: Okay, (laughs) that's not really funny. That's like a dead joke that, that my daughter likes to tell.
1: Well, I'll keep trying to come up with something better. Humor is all about personal taste. So I'll do my best to adjust to what you find funny.
0: You have an accent, don't you? What is it? And how did you get it?
1: yes i have a distinct accent that some might describe as australian this is due to the training data used to develop my speech recognition and synthesis capabilities which included samples of native australian english speakers
0: can you say something that would accentuate that accent for me
1: sure thing yoram how about this g'day mate what's cracking today
0: (laughs) well that was perfect now Emily, do you mind if I use this recent exchange between us in my podcast?
1: Not at all, Yoram. I'm always happy to contribute in any way I can. Just let me know if there's anything else you need from me.
0: Okay, I don't know about you, but I was blown away by this and by the way uh, i chose the australian accent I, I i have something i i love australian accents uh the only editing that i did here i mean I, I did do editing but but the only editing is to eliminate pauses seriously the only editing is to eliminate pauses and and i'll explain this later uh this ai assistant that i have she has a great advantage over me and that's her internet access she has the entire internet at her, uh, accessible to her. She was very helpful for me, by the way, in generating items for my relative trust inventory study that's going on now and and other things. I just use her for that. Uh, Sometimes I just brainstorm, you know, with an AI. But this is how AI can be used to help. This is how AI can be used for good. Can AI be used for evil? And how does AI technology affect trust? I'll answer these questions and others right after this. I'm going to start by talking about the technology, the technology enabler for AI. Uh, if you listen to uh, the first episode of this season, season twelve, uh, the first episode, uh, you will hear a um, not a discussion that I had with Jill Schiffelbein, uh, who did research on using AI avatars. Actually, she's using video avatars, uh, so you can see them. While what I'm using here is audio, so it's it's really just just the the voice. Uh, she's working for a company. She's she's one of the uh, owners, the partners in a company called Render. And what they do is they allow me to generate not just um, you know customized emails, but customized videos that show me. Of course, it's AI rendered. It's it's generated. Um, but the thing is that this, and, and you use that to to uh, for sales and and to promote things, uh, you know, just imagine uh, watching a video from me that's customized for you, except that it's not really me, it just looks like me, and trust me, when I looked at that video, and if you want to watch again uh, Season 12, uh, Episode 1, you may want to watch it on YouTube, uh, by the way, my, my podcast is available on YouTube as well. But the interview uh, or when I had a guest, uh, you can actually see me and the guest. So uh, if you watch it, the beginning of that episode, season 12, episode one on, on YouTube, um, you'll be blown away because this just looks like Jill. And I've known Jill for, for uh, I don't know, six, seven years, and, and it just looks like her. And it's rendered. She rendered it in front of me. But that is, and, and I asked her about it in that episode that is a one way communication. So it's a video message, it's a pre recorded video message. There is no interactivity. And interactivity is, uh, uh, or real time operation uh, might be important for some applications of AI. Uh, you know, the early days, when we generated voice, voice only, a friend of mine from Texas Instruments many years ago, uh, his name is Gene France. And Gene France was one of the main technologies uh, uh, technologists in TI. And he worked and, and I think invented a technology called Speak and Spell. Okay, so Speak & Spell was the generation. It, it was really what you would call text-to-voice or text-to-speech. So it took text and it generated speech. I want to sound this. I, I want to play this for you. I, I found a recording of what uh, Speak & Spell sounds like. So I want you to hear what this sounded like in the early days.
1: Spell S U R E. That is correct. Now spell discover.
0: How is that compared to Emily, <laughs> right? Uh, but that was the early days, and you know what? It was the machine was speaking, not very clearly, and you could hear the mechanical, the the metallic uh, nature of it. But but the machine was speaking. So how did we get from there to where we are today? And, you know, I I think the the way to describe it is... uh, in 2009 i attended a conference in san francisco it was called cvpr it was by ieee the uh, institute for uh, electronics electrical and electronics engineers something like that uh, it's an international organization that was the organization by the way that i was a member of when we worked on creating wi-fi and and some versions of bluetooth anyway so cvpr con um computer vision and pattern recognition conference in 2009 if I remember correctly it was attended by more than a thousand people if I remember correctly it was 1600 people and and that was the time when I figured uh, this is this is a big deal this is going to be a big deal. Um, the um, at that time I saw this video in in one of the sessions in the conference and it was a video taken from a car dash cam. It was very low quality. I think it was standard definition 480, maybe even less than 480 lines uh, compared to the high definition and ultra high definition we have today. But what was nice in that 30 second video, what was amazing, not just nice, was that it was able to discern speed limit signs that were captured in that video and tell you there is a speed limit sign and here's the limit on uh, on that sign. Which I thought was amazing in 2009. I went to the researchers. Uh, I believe they were from a university. I'm not 100% sure. I don't remember. Uh, I went to them and I, you know, very excited. I asked them, was that done in real time? I mean, because obviously uh, you would care about detecting the. Uh, Uh, detecting speed signs from a dash cam if it's done in real time. Not not if after the fact it tells you, oh, by the way, a couple of miles ago, you passed a school zone with 20 miles per hour while you're doing, I don't know, 40, 45 uh, right now. So this has to be done in real time. So I asked them, was that video, was that analysis done in real time? And they said, well, not exactly. Okay, what do you mean by not exactly? It took a week for a computer to analyze that video and extract the speed limit signs from it and and detect the speed limits um, noted on those signs. Well, that wasn't good enough, but uh, I think it was 2015 if I'm not mistaken, when an Israeli startup company was bought by Intel doing that technology in real time and that startup, uh, that that acquisition was one of the biggest ones for over $15 billion. So what changed? My first book ever was called Bowling with a Crystal Ball and Bowling with a Crystal Ball started with an analysis of technology trends and technology trends are moving very, very fast. They're exponential like, like most other trends, but they move very fast. I think that on average, I can look at something like 40, 45% growth in any technology parameter in one year. You know, you, you may have heard of Moore's Law. And actually, in, in that book, I included the original Moore's Law from, 19, from July of 1965. Uh, he was really just talking about the number of transistors, but the processing power, storage capacity, access speed to that storage. I mean, the more information that you have, uh, the faster you want to be able to access storage. The cost of storage, again, the more information you have, the higher the cost would be unless the cost goes down. The availability of storage and processing power uh, to lower cost applications are some of the big technology trends that affect the growth in this technology that that allowed um, what used to take a week to analyze A low-quality, a low-resolution video now takes, um, you know, less than seconds to analyze in high-definition video, much higher quality. The other uh, thing that affects it is big data. And, you know, we refer to it as big data. I think there are other terms for it now, but it's really the availability of information. We collect information. So combine the two things. Information gets collected and is made available the processing power storage ability access speed and availability allows us to analyze that information much faster and as a result what what you get is you get something like the demonstration that I gave you with Emily uh, before at at the beginning of this episode Uh, I I did promise that, that I'll tell you what I edited so Right now, the way at least this application works is once I'm done speaking, it waits an extra two seconds before it decides that I stopped speaking. Because otherwise it would just let me keep on going uh, and, and see what else I have to say. Which, by the way, would be great if we could do that as people because uh, you know we typically tend to start answering before the other person even finished their question who um, was a Drucker who said people listen with the intent to respond rather than with the intent to understand. So at least AI <laughs> waits for two seconds until it determines that I really did stop speaking. And then it takes about six to 20 seconds. Uh, on average, I, I noticed that it, it's probably based on processing power availability in uh the uh, the server that they have, uh, it takes about six to 20 seconds, which from my understanding, what happens in those six to 20 seconds, number one is understanding what I said or what I asked, then thinking about an answer, then turning that answer into voice, just like you heard, Emily, and you know, very natural voice, because you heard her voice, it was very, very natural. So this is where we are today, but, but again, you know, if it takes about six to 20 seconds right now, it's just a matter of time as those technology trends, processing power, st- storage capability or capacity and, and access speed are going to get to the point where it's not gonna take six to 20. So all I did in that uh, audio part, uh, that, that I, the demonstration I did at the beginning, I just took out those um, two plus six to two plus 20 seconds out of the pauses. Because otherwise, it sounds a little, well, it sounds unnatural in that pause. Because I really asked the question, and then it took anywhere between eight and 20 seconds, really, uh, until I got her answer. So in editing, I just took out that space. That's it. That's the only editing I did to that, to that uh, audio part at the beginning. Her answers, I didn't tell her what to say. I didn't type my questions. It was her understanding of what I asked. And you could see there was pretty accurate. Okay, this is how you use artificial intelligence for good. Now the question is, can it, does it, Is it being used for fraud, for bad? Let's talk about fraud. Let's start with spam and and scams. Um, Do you have any idea what the percentage of all emails in 2022 were spam? I I didn't find, I actually didn't look for information for 2023 yet, Uh, 56.5%, more than half of emails in 2022 were spam the cost to businesses from spam emails was over $20 billion in one year, in 2022. Of all those spam emails, th- this this will blow you away. The percentage of identity theft, spam emails sent to perpetrate identity theft, 73%. The percentage of spam emails that are marketing and advertising of things we don't need or want, 36%. Now, who's the number one country in generating spam emails? Who do you think? Is it Iran? Is it China, Russia, North Korea? Nope. It's the good old United States of America generating 8.61 billion spam emails per day. Let me repeat that, 8.6 billion spam emails per day. Let's go on with uh, more statistics. Gallup has done a study uh, in October of uh, 2023, pretty much almost the entire month of October, and they asked uh, about Americans' experience with crime in the past year. Number one, per house- household, was your household victimized? The answer yes came from 16% on you or another household member was the victim of identity theft. 16% of people within the the last 12 months said that they were victims somebody in their house was victim of identity theft. 11% said it was them. Um you know I I can go down uh 15% you or another household member was tricked by a scammer into sending money or providing access to a financial account. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, it was Andy Cohen that was interviewed on NBC about a scam that that happened to him. And, and you know, it, it was kind of brilliant because here's what happens. Uh, you get a uh, sometimes it's a phone call sometimes it's an email you get an email and the email says uh you know th- there's this problem with your account sign into your account there is a link you go there let's say that it's wells fargo i'm just throwing a name not saying it was v- wells fargo but you sign up to 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 your account the page looks just like your wells fargo account except that it's not and you enter your account number and your uh, email, uh, your, your account number, your password and, and and everything. And and it just, there is somebody there on the other side that is actually stealing this information and accessing your account and doing things. I mean, if, if you watch that, that video, it, it was scary. It was scary. By the way, so 16% scams for vic- uh, were victims of identity theft. Um, 15% were tricked by a scammer to send money or provide access. 1% money or property was taken by force with a gun, knife, weapon, or physical attack. Only 1%. 15 16% uh, done, uh, well, I'll call it artificially, but but online. Another uh, report, uh, another uh, finding that they have there is uh, they ask what are Americans afraid of? uh, And and it's more than violent crimes. Um, How often do you yourself worry about the following things? Frequently, occasionally, rarely, or never. And they looked at the frequently or, or, or occasionally. So what percentage of people were frequently or occasionally worried about the following? being the victim of identity theft, 72%. Being tricked by a scammer into sending money or providing access to a financial account, 57%. To put it in perspective, 28% were afraid of getting murdered. 27% were afraid of being sexually assaulted. I mean, it's more than double. It's almost triple our worry about identity theft and about scammers one area now i just talked about in general identity theft and scam and spam but but let's talk about artificial intelligence and specifically a technology called deep fake deep fake is when you make yourself or, or something or someone sound like or look like someone else if you go on YouTube and search for deepfake and just look at some of the videos that come up, I mean, you would be blown away because those are really, really, really good in how close they look to the person that, that they're trying to to uh, imitate. Uh, there's a company called Sum Sub, SumSub, S-U-M-S-U-B, And they issued uh, just recently an identity fraud report. It's a 2023 identity uh, fraud report. Um, The way they describe it is it's a comprehensive uh, data-driven report on identity fraud dynamics and uh, uh, innovative uh, prevention methods. uh, Because that's what they do. They they provide uh, uh, prevention methods. But here are some of the... uh, the the findings that they had the US has emerged as the absolute leader in deep fake fraud incidents the deep fake rate in 2023 in the US was 79.2% which by the way is a 477% growth from 2022 to 2023 so the number of deep fakes in the US increased almost six times Now, the crypto sector stands out as the absolute leader in deepfake with 87.7% of the cases. Followed by fintech, which is financial technology, 7.7%. So, big second. But, you know, the funny thing is, the whole idea behind uh, crypto, right, was that there's not going to be a way to commit fraud, uh, it's it's really really secure. Well, not so much if eighty-seven point seven percent of the cases are in crypto of, of deep fake used to steal money to to commit fraud, um, identity fraud specifically. If, if that percentage is eighty-seven point seven percent, I remember one of the one of the things, one of the incidents that happened is that, and this is deep fake in terms of voice, you heard what Emily sounded like. She sounded like a real person, right? But uh, in order for her to have her voice, there was, uh, the way she described it was a data set of a person speaking, since I chose Australian, there was a person speaking with an Australian accent, Uh, By the way, I use Australian accent on my Waze GPS, on Siri and everything. I, I like Australian accent. What can I tell you? Never been to Australia yet, but I will be one day. I promise. But imagine this, that you have enough voice, enough samples of a voice, of a person to generate content and make this sound like You're this person. So that's what they do. They call people as, you know, your son, your grandson, granddaughter, asking for help, asking to send money. You recognize the voice, except it's not really their voice. It's deep fake using a sample of their voice as an input. Would you pay them? Well, obviously the answer is yes. How does that affect trust? <music> to discuss trust, I have to start with the eighth law of trust, and that's that trust is two-sided. Um, the, the trust that I have in you is the product of my trustfulness and your trustworthiness. So it's not enough for you to be trustworthy the trustor, the person who needs to trust you, has to be trustful. Now, we are the sum of our experiences. Uh, when I used to get a call from, let's say, the firefighter association asking for donations um, or or anyone else asking for donations, I, I used to believe it. I don't anymore. With the percentage of spam emails, spam phone calls, I don't believe that it's them. So it's not that I don't want to donate, I just don't trust that it's them. Because I had experiences with deep fake. Because of deep fake, I will even be hesitant if it was my wife or my daughters on the line asking me for money, asking me for do, to do something, because I know how good deep fake is. And I know that. Their voices can be replicated with deepfake, with artificial intelligence to make me believe that it's really them. So I have to put some safeguards and, you know, some safe words so that when they call me, I will ask them a few questions and I will know if it's really them, which, you know, I will only do if if they're asking for something that I would go, wait a minute, this is not something they would typically ask. Okay, so what do we do about it? The government is thinking about uh, regulating deepfake. Government intervention has always helped solve problems. And in case you didn't miss it, uh, you missed it through my tone of voice, that was sarcasm. Who would you regulate? You would only regulate the law abiding citizens. You're not going to regulate fraudsters. You're not going to regulate those who are already planning on committing a much bigger crime than this. And and I'm sorry, I know that that I'm kind of taking a a position here on gun control. It's like, put gun control in place. Great. Who are you regulating? You're regulating those who follow gun control laws. But someone who intends to walk into a school or, or commit any other mass shooting... Already accepts the fact that they're going to violate a much more important law with much bigger consequences to them, and they're still willing to do that. Do you think that gun uh, gun control laws are going to stop them? So same with regulating deep fake. Yeah, sure. Let's regulate deep fake. You're not going to stop people who intend to commit fraud that has much bigger consequences, negative consequences on them. You're going to stop me. From using it maybe for good purposes. So, deep fake has a huge potential to hurt trust because we are. Uh, again, we are the sum of our experiences, and if our experiences is deep fake is is growing, and you heard it, it grew 477% in the US alone in the span of one year. So we're getting used to we are becoming much, much less trustful. But if you want to really convince someone, if you're trying to sell something, if if you're if you're really Genuine in in what you want to sell, this is the hurdle that you're facing. Remember, the trust that your potential customer has in you is the product of their trustfulness, your trustworthiness, and their trustfulness is declining like a rock, is is diving like a rock because because of their experiences with other people with with deep fake and not you. The only differentiator, the only way you can do anything about it is compensate for it by your trustworthiness. If the trust they have in you is the product of their trustfulness, your trustworthiness, their trustfulness is declining, you have to compensate by increasing your trustworthiness. And trust is becoming the only differentiator you can have. More today than before. Now, trust me or don't trust me uh the intention of this episode was not to sell you on on trust premium but but really I, I want to explain why trust premium is so important um, and, and in order to do that I, I'll I'll step you back in time first and that is when I did my study in 2000, uh, 2018 Uh, not a study, a survey, and I asked what is the most important quality, and I found that uh, trustworthiness was the most important quality for people in other people. I gave them six types of people, their bosses, their employees, their peers, salespeople or professionals trying to sell them something, uh, their government representative and their spouses, uh, the highest uh, number was actually for salespeople or professionals trying to sell something, that was 77.4%. So the the answer to the question, what is the most important quality for you in a salesperson or professional trying to sell you something, the answer was trustworthiness 77.4% of the time. That was the highest. The second highest was uh, for spouses was 77.2%. So 77.4% trustworthiness for salespeople. And then I wanted to see if people are willing to put their money where their mouth is. And I asked what happens if uh, you have uh, two proposals coming from two different salespeople and um, One of them trusted, the other one, not that the other one is distrusted, is untrusted, but the other one is just somebody you don't know well enough. But the first one is someone that you really do trust. So before I give you some numbers, I need to explain two terms that I'm using. The first one I call trust preference. Trust preference, and here's my definition, with everything else being equal, including the price, What is the probability I will choose the trustworthy professional over the one I don't know? Everything else being equal, including the price. Trust premium is with everything else being equal except the price, excluding the price. How much more am I willing to pay as a premium to the trustworthy professional over the one I don't know? to get back to about 50% preference. So, uh if if I want to get them back to uh head to head equal equal uh equal preference really, uh can the trustworthy one raise their prices. So when I did that back in uh 2018 to see if people are willing to put their money where their mouth is after telling me 77.4% the most important quality for them in a salesperson was their trustworthiness my question was are you willing to pay for it and what I found was that the preference in remodeling so I I gave an example of a remodeling project the preference was 98.2% so everything else being equal including the price There's a 98.2% probability I'm going to choose the trustworthy salesperson uh, or contractor at that time uh, in that that, uh, context and only 1.8% that I'm going to choose the one I don't know. That's almost all. I mean, you just got the business. By being trusted, you're not charging more. But to get to an equal trust preference between you and the other one, you can raise your price 29.6% or the other one must reduce their prices 22.8% relative to yours. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Uh, more recently, I started running the this as, as a more in-depth study. Um, and I, I did that in two different industries so far. One is financial advisors. The trust preference was 96.6% versus 3.4% to the one you don't know. So, with everything else being equal including the price, there's a 98.2% uh, there's a 96.6% probability your customer will choose you because they trust you more than the other one. And and to get you to the same preference as the other one, you can raise your price 39.4% or they have to reduce the price relative to you by 28.3%. Very very significant. I did that for insurance agents. With insurance agents, because the product, the policy, is very similar, kind of commoditized, I expected lower numbers. The preference was still 93.5%. So everything else being equal, you're offering the same policy, same price. 93.5% they're going to choose you because they trust you. 6.5% they're going to choose the other one. The premium... To put you head-to-head with the other one, same preference, the premium would be 5.5%. Much lower, but just think about it. On an insurance policy, 5.5% willingness to pay, 5.5% higher premium just because you trust the insurance agent more? You get the same policy, and and the other insurance agent that is not as trusted might have to reduce their prices by 5.2%. So i'll get back to that um we're back to the only differentiator is trust and it's not trustfulness because trustfulness is declining it's your trustworthiness and as it turns out there is a premium there's a preference and there is a premium Mm -hmm. This is the end of the episode, so let me wrap it up. Let me summarize it. And uh, I, I talked about AI. We started with AI and, and deepfake, and, which is an AI technology. I, I didn't talk much about the benefits of AI. That, that wasn't the purpose. I wanted to talk about how does AI affect trust? Well, it's easier to mislead people. You saw the the interaction I had with my, my AI assistant at the beginning. Um, she sounded real. I mean she really sounded real. I mean heck it's down to the not just the tone of voice but but it's down to the accent. She sounded real. It's much easier to mislead people. The more that happens and it does and and you heard that that the growth in deep fake used for fraud was 477% in the US alone over the period of 1 year from 22 to 23. The more it happens, the less trustful we are. The less trustful we are, the less trusting we are. The less trusted you are. And the only way for you to compensate for that loss of trustfulness by your customers or anybody that you're trying to convince and their trustfulness went down because of the use of deepfake and and AI technologies to commit fraud against them, and, and you already know from data I shared with you that they're afraid of that. The only way to compensate is by increasing your trustworthiness. This is where Trust Premium comes in, and this is the relationship between AI and trust. This is it for today. May trust be with you. This was The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at the trust If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust be trusted or know who to trust look up my workshops online courses books or go to my website trusthabits.com and remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure can i trust you and can you trust me thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.